Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Very, very excited about it. In fact, you'll notice that usually we have this barrier right here uh, so you can't see back into the baptism. But this morning, we're doing baptisms differently so that you all can really participate with us as we baptize uh, these guys. And so I'm super, super excited uh, about uh, what's going to happen. I do want to make a special note of two of the students that are being baptized today because they are in the youth ministry. And I don't want to do it necessarily because I want to draw specific attention to them, but really because one of those guys is coming up into the sixth grade. And tonight we're going to be celebrating him at Fusion with our annual Welcome to Fusion party in which we dress up like geriatrics. And uh, we do that to celebrate us getting older. And uh, it's really a lot of fun. It's not meant to poke fun at anybody. Uh, but yeah, there's a picture of us doing it last year. And um, we, we just have a lot of fun with it. And uh, it's, it's a really great night. So if you have any students that are coming to Fusion tonight at 5 o'clock, make sure that they're wearing uh, mixed plaids and polyesters and powder all over their hair and everything like that because we're going to celebrate the heck out of everyone growing up. It's going to be a, a really fun night. Now... Um, this is my favorite time of year. The, we're kicking off a new school year, and for most of our students, there's all these new commitments, fresh starts, and, and uh, there's all these excited possibilities. And many of you know that I just returned from middle school camp, um, and it was a great time. We brought 20 students with us to Camp Odioqua, and we joined with another 100 students or so. And uh, it was an exciting week full of uh, powerful teaching and significant encounters with God. And uh, at the end of the week, here's, I think there's a picture of, of those folks um, that we went with. Yeah, right there. There's everyone who was at the camp with us. Oh, what a great time. At the end of the week, each church uh, allowed a few of their students to share what they had experienced during camp. And uh, most of the stories ended with some kind of a commitment uh, to keep the fire of God burning so that they can bring their passion for Christ to their school campuses. Now, I love to hear uh, 12 and 13 and 14-year-olds talk about their faith in that way. It just gets me all excited. It's inspiring. Now, I don't know about you, but the older that I get, uh, the more removed I get from that kind of passion in my life. Now, of course, I have moments when I'm on fire with God and, and I feel like I could go out and save an entire high school, kind of like Peter did on Pentecost. Um, but my passion, as I get older... Uh, for better or worse, is tempered by the years of life and uh, failures and successes and all of those kinds of things. But then I get inspired by your kids when they talk about praying for their non-Christian, post-Christian, unchurched, overchurched, anti-church friends at school. Uh, their passion is so contagious. It reminds me of that time when I fully gave my life to Christ at, at age 15. And, and that was that time that I decided it was far more important to live for Jesus than it was to be popular. And so I brought my faith to, to school. But now as a 36-year-old father of two, that's exciting for me because that's new. Uh, you know, father of two for the first time. It's awesome. Coming back, though, from middle school camp is one of those great faith experiences that I have because I'm challenged in my own faith journey by the student's energy for Jesus. What I also know is that as a 36-year-old father of two and a pastor to these youth, um, I have a responsibility to them as well. 
It's a commitment that I made 16 years ago, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a commitment to provide all of those opportunities so that those students, so that these students can have significant encounters with God and develop into mature believers. You see, when I was 20 years old, I had a clear message from God that my life's plan and purpose was to lead the middle and high school students uh, to the throne room of God where they can be transformed by His grace and mercy just as I was. I was accepting a commitment to be a part of a community of men and women who dedicated their lives to teen ministry. And I was really excited about it. I still am excited about it. Um, but I want to be clear here. It, it didn't take me very long before I realized that the position that I fill now is often viewed merely as a stepping stone to another position in ministry, such as an associate pastorship or lead pastorship. And, and that makes me really mad because I think it takes away the full sacrifice and commitment of what a youth pastor really does. Because following Jesus is really about a life of sacrifice, a life that's not about us. It's about Jesus first and others second. And this is what I think that most teenagers who are turned on for God just inherently get. They understand it. They know the cost of passionately following Jesus. And and they know that their life is not about them or their reputation or their extracurricular activities. No, these kids who turn on to Jesus are ready to sacrifice anything and everything to follow him. We can learn a lot from that kind of passion. This is the kind of passion that we read about in the scriptures. I mean, when you think about who the disciples were, they were really just a bunch of unruly teenagers. And, and if you really think about it, Peter was probably the first youth pastor of all because he was uh, the oldest of them. And, and really what they were willing to sacrifice, whatever they had to in order to follow Jesus, to make his name great and establish the foundation of the church that we are so blessed to be a part of today. And all of them, the disciples were martyred, saved John. I mean, that's sacrifice, right? Yes, we can learn a lot from the passionate faith of our teenagers. But don't get me wrong. What I knew as a 20-something in youth ministry was that these teens need help in their faith journey. The disciples needed help. They had Jesus. The youth need guidance. And, And I knew that in my first years of youth ministry, I had to provide it for them. I knew that they needed a partner in the faith to guide them, to teach them, to love them, and to help them back up after they had fallen down. I knew my job was important. But what would grow in me was a sense that my leadership alone was not enough. I was not the most talented or most gifted or most gregarious or greatest youth pastor ever. I couldn't fill those shoes. That's impossible for me to do. What I learned was I need partners in the ministry who would walk beside me in this to help raise these teenagers in the faith. In fact, one of the most vivid memories that I have as, um, as a young child in my early adolescence was a time when I got sent to the principal's office for fighting. Both of my parents were uh, elementary school principals, and because our district had certain rules, I wasn't allowed to go to their schools. And I personally knew that this was a good thing, because if I was at my dad's school, then I was always going to be in the principal's office. Um, but my, my friends, my peers thought, oh, you're, you know, it's so unlucky. You would have been so much better, you know, at your parents' school, because you would have been favored and all that kind of stuff. And that uh, wasn't true at all. Um, I knew that wouldn't have been the case. Actually, by not being at my parents' schools, although I did receive a little favor from some of the teachers and principals because they were close friends to my parents. Uh, and that 
little bit of favor did go to my head. See, I remember sitting in Miss Taylor's office waiting to see her after I got into a fight over a tetherball game, which... By the way, uh, if you ever wonder why we don't have tetherball here, you know, we've got awesome sand volleyball courts and we've got a playground and we've got horseshoe pits. The reason we don't have tetherball here is because of this story. It's true. So I, I got into a fight over tetherball and, uh, and then I'm sitting in Miss Taylor's office waiting to hear her deal, uh, waiting for her to deal with me. And, and I was going over in my head all the things that I wanted to say. But as soon as she came in, there was no time at all for my prepared speech. She just walked in the room, told me to stand up and bend over because she was going to give me swats. Um, now, I had never had swats before, and, um, uh, and so my mind was just kind of whirling around thinking, oh my gosh, what is this going to feel like? Ah, oh, it's going to hurt, bruises, crazy, whatever. The only thing, though, that I could do was to invoke my dad's name as if that was going to get me off the hook somehow. And uh, so I blurted out, you can't give me swats. My dad won't let you. (laughs) He won't let you give me swats. So Miss Taylor responded, well, let's call your dad. (laughs) I personally thought that was a great idea. You know, I'm like, oh, that's great. Let's call him. He's going to stop this whole thing. There's no way he's going to let another adult give his kid swats, right? So Ms. Taylor put my dad on the speakerphone and she described the situation to him. And I can still hear his voice in my head as he said, Judy, that was Ms. Taylor's first name. Judy, you can start giving him swatch right now and I'll be there in 15 minutes to finish. I was black and blue after that. What I learned later was that my parents had made an arrangement with my principals and my teachers that they had to treat me the same way that they would treat anybody else. See, my parents, though, also used those principals to report how I was doing in school, and they had regular conversations about me, and then my parents could address any areas that needed special attention. Even though I wasn't aware of it, I had a community of people around me who were looking out for my best intentions and that were steering me in the direction that they knew was best for me. My parents needed help, and they got it from their friends in the schools. Now, I personally don't think that there is a higher higher calling in this life than to be a steward of the lives that are given to us. We all have a responsibility to shepherd the children that are a part of our lives. And let me be clear. I do not simply mean the children that we are blessed with by birth or adoption or that are in our foster care. I mean the children that are a part of our community. See, I'm wired a certain way. When I wake up in the mornings, what gets me out of bed, what stirs my passion for the day is the thought that I may have the opportunity to shape the lives of the people around me. And I know a lot of youth pastors, when asked how they measure success in their youth ministry, they'll throw out a number to me. And, and, and I start thinking about it. That's not what I'm looking for. I don't want you to measure success in your ministry by how many kids are there. I want you to tell me something else. Think about this for a minute. What if we measured success here at Quest in our youth ministry and our children's ministry and all the ministries that we have? What if we measured uh, success ministry at Quest based on the health of the marriages and the families that we have in our community? See, that gets me excited. That really starts to stir me. 
The first students that I have ever led as a youth pastor are starting to have children of their own and families of their own. And when I see them post on Facebook about how much they love their wives and how much they love their children, I think, wow, that's success right there. That's how I want to measure success. And I'm just thinking, I got to be a part of teaching them how to love their families. And that is cool. See, it's not just about me or Ross or Wendy or anybody else here on staff that's supposed to be given this responsibility. Every single one of us in this church community have a role and a part to play in this. I have students who have begun, they've begun their careers. They um, are doing things in their jobs that I'm just moved by. Their faith is shaping how they work and how they relate to their coworkers and to their bosses and how they're making differences in their companies that they work for. And I think, wow. Uh, I may have been able to play a part in how they're living such good lives in their companies. And I think that is success in youth ministry right there. I was given an opportunity to teach them and model hard work for them. And here's the thing, you can too. Uh, I've got students who are teachers now in school districts and even youth pastors And I pray that I was faithful to my calling so much that I was instilling in them not only a devotion for Jesus, but also a desire to raise up the next generation of passionate movers and shakers and world changers because now it's their turn, it's their responsibility as elders in their community to pass on the wisdom and teachings that they once received. Guys, this is what we get to do. This is our opportunity right in front of us. I'm going to ask a friend uh, to come on up here and read scripture for us. And uh, we're going to read out of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. If you have a device, click on it and do all that fancy stuff to make it work. Um, If you don't have anything, that's fine. The words are going to be on the screen. Megan is going to read this for us. It's awesome. Thank you, Megan. This scripture is the backbone for today. It's the driving force in a lot of what I have personally been chewing on for some time about youth ministry. So here's, here's a little background to what's going on in Deuteronomy. Moses is speaking to the Israelites who are about to enter into the promised land. And he just told them all of the Ten Commandments that they're supposed to know. And that's when we pick up the verse right there. But Moses is keenly aware of what the future could hold for God's people if they don't pay attention to a couple, to a couple things. You see, from the time that the Israelites have been, have been wandering through the desert, after they have been exodus, did, did, is that a verb? I don't know. Um, from uh, Egypt, uh, the Israelites have been relying on God for everything. They've been relying on them for for water, for food, for leadership, for directions. And soon they're going to live in a land where they will have absolutely no wants for anything at all. They're going to live in large cities and full houses. And they're going to have wells full of water, vineyards, olive groves, and plenty of food. See, when we have needs that, that we cannot attain ourselves, then we love the one who can provide for us and who does provide for us. But then when we have a life where all of our needs are met, where we have land, where we have food and friends and water and wine and everything 
then our attention to the one who provided for us can fade. So Moses provides both a warning and direction for the Israelites. He says on behalf of God, do not forget me. Do not forget what I have done for you when you were wandering around in the desert. Do not forget and tell your kids about what I have done for you. Make sure you pass on all of the ways that I have provided for you to the next generation and to the next generation. I love verse 7 here. And Walter Bergamon suggests that Deuteronomy 6-7 is parallel to Judges 5-10, which reads, um, Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way. The verbs in Judges 5 and uh, Deuteronomy 6-7 are really parallel. Sit, walk, and lie down and get up. Uh, They parallel with ride, sit, and walk. Essentially, what Moses is saying to the Israelites is everywhere you go and all of the time that you have, be talking to your children about God. If we want to press our faith into the next generation, then we have to engage them in it right now. All of them. All of the time. And this is a, a seriously big command by God to us. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about something that's going to change here at Quest. You're going to notice some differences happening in the student ministry this year and into the future. These are things that we've actually been doing over some time, but this year we're going to put an exclamation point on them. So you're going to see middle school students and high school students in the service on a regular basis. Students are going to be serving in the children's ministry. Students are going to be serving on the worship team and on drama teams and reading scripture like Megan did and in the sound booth like Zach is right now and in in the tech booth just like Cammy was earlier and they're going to be greeting you when you come into the door and they're going to be collecting tithes and and serving communion they're going to be all over the place serving in the church wow they're going to be doing it for two primary reasons one they are a vital part of our body that can bless us with their gifts and with their passion that can move us and change us and stir in us and help us to grow. And so we don't want to silo them off into some classroom all of the time. We want them to know the importance of being a part of a community of Christ. Now, I understand that this means that there's not going to be classes for your kids every Sunday morning when they come in. But let me tell you something. When they come to serve, when they come to help out, when they come and they sit next to you in worship service, they're going to be learning. They're going to be learning what it means to be a part of a church, okay? This is how they're going to learn to make that decision to join a church after they left your homes and after they've gone to college and started their careers. They're going to know, you know what? I'm supposed to be a part of a community of believers. That's what my faith tells me to do. And so we're going to start teaching them that today. This is critically important for students to recognize that they need to give back to the church that is pouring out so much into them. In fact, just a few weeks ago, uh, I was moved by a student who understood this. I was preparing for middle school camp, and and the the weeks leading up to camp can be very busy. In fact, so busy, I spend so much time here at the church getting things ready that I actually, this year, I let some stuff slip at my own house. And uh, I was... um, here teaching a bunch of high schoolers how to be leaders at the middle school camp and in walks this student he's tracking in grass into the gymnasium and i was like hey dude what are you doing you know like come on clean up your mess and he looked at me and he goes well it's your grass you know and i'm like hey 
Just because I work here doesn't mean that I own everything around here and doesn't mean I have to clean up all of your messes. You know, you need to do some of this too. And he's like, no, 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 that's not what I mean, Jeremy. Like, it's literally your grass. I just mowed your lawn. I was like, whoa, that was awesome. I seriously, I was so blessed because I had been so busy doing all this other stuff to have this student uh, mow my lawn for me just floored me. Of course, I was like, I'll clean it up. You go do whatever you want to do. I'm going to do this. See, this student knew that I needed some help, so he mowed a lawn for me. I, and, and here's the thing. He knew to do this because he had seen it modeled before him by his parents. He knew that it was important, so he went out and he did it. And this is the second reason that I want students in this service. They need to see you guys worshiping God. They need to see it modeled before them because that's how they learn to do it. And by the way, I'm not just talking to you parents in the room. I'm talking to everybody in this room. If you don't have kids in the youth ministry, that's okay. I'm still talking to you. You can play a vital role in these children's and students' lives. It's so important for all of us. Everywhere we go and all of the time, our responsibility is to this community to bring them up in the ways of God. All of us have this responsibility. And the cool thing about it is that they bless us too along the way. They pass on the passion to us that, that, that we need to just keep firing for God. And we get to deepen their faith as we teach them and model faithful living for them. This should be happening everywhere in our church. So each of us here in this community is here for a reason. There's an ordained reason why you're brought here to this church for this season of your life. And I want to challenge you to be engaged with it because he's got something for you to learn, to grow, and to give back. But the only way that you're going to be able to experience any of that growth, any of that learning, and being able to pour it back in anyone's life is if you're engaged with him, if you're leaning into him. So here's what I want you to think about today. Are you ready to consider how your life can impact the future generation? How can you or will you model service, worship, discipleship, and community to the next generation? How will you shape future marriages, future careers, and the church of the next generation? I'm going to give you a few options to make this really simple this morning. And this isn't a ploy to get more volunteers within the student ministry. I promise you it's not. If you say yes, I will get more volunteers, but that's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because this is how we should be living our lives as a part of the church. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 outlines the same teaching for us. Verse 11 and uh, 12 and 13, he says, The gifts he gave were to some that would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until every single one of us come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God into maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. Every single one of us are gifted in different ways, but our gifts are designed to disciple the next generation so that all of the church may reach maturity and be more like Jesus. So here's three things that you can do to help out. First, 
Like I said, you're going to notice more students who are going to be beside you serving in ministry, whether it's in the cafe or in here in the service or in the children's ministry or wherever it is. Whenever you see them, I want you to ask yourself, how will my life impact these students next to me? See, we all have a responsibility to pass on our faith to the next generation. You're going to have opportunities all around you to do it. So will you ask them the important questions? Will you give them wise counsel that you have? Some of you can probably think back to when you were in church as a teenager, and there's probably an adult that you thought of like, man, that person is really living for Christ, and that's how I want to be when I go, get older. I know for myself, there were two people that I think of right now. Like, yes, that's who I want to be when I get older for Christ. Will you be that individual for our teenagers today? The second thing I want to ask of you is, is a more formal opportunity to impact the lives of the students. Would you be a mentor for a student? And I know that that might sound scary to consider, but please don't overthink this idea. Okay, Mentors, what they do is they spend time with students doing cool stuff. I mean, it's, it's easy. Stuff that you probably already do and stuff that you like to do. In high school, my mentor used to pick me up after class and we would go work on his cars. We rebuilt one and a half cars together. That's all we did. Then we talk about life and girls and all kinds of stuff. Faith. And then when we weren't working on cars, we were eating, we were running his errands. That's the thing. If you're mentoring someone, you can have them do all the hard work for you. You just get to live in front of them. And it, seriously, it's great. We're running his errands, we're, doing, we're fishing. Being a mentor is more about demonstrating a healthy faith in the midst of your ordinary living. It's living out the things that you always do with faith in front of other people. That's all it is. Finally, I want to ask you, would you consider being a teacher or a small group leader? Discipleship. Making disciples is what we are called to. Training up our kids with the knowledge of Jesus in the Bible is critical for their faith. And trust me, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be a super pro theologian or anything like that in order to be a teacher or a small group leader. In fact, I'm going to do most of the heavy lifting for you. I'm going to do the research. I'm going to pick the topics. I'll probably even write out most of what you have to say. All you have to do as a teacher is just look over that material, be prepared to walk into a conversation with some teenagers and talk to them about their faith. It's that simple. Just being there, present, and ready to engage with them about faith matters is what it means to be a true teacher. Trust me, it's not as frightening as it may sound. Like I said earlier, I, I'm not asking you to do these things as a cheap ploy to get more volunteers. Actually, what I'm trying to do is help you find a way to make more disciples as you're called to. I want you to help the next generation. And if we don't do it, who is? If we don't do it, who's going to do it? It's our responsibility. So when you see a student or a child around here, will you reach out to them? Will, will you give them another face that they can trust, another life that they can watch love Jesus, another mother or father or son or daughter, young professional executive, whoever you are, will you give them that example of what it's like to live a life of faith? This is what we are called to we are to write our faith on their hearts. So let's be a community of men and women that are committed to passing on our faith.
Today, as a response to this message, we're going to all participate in the baptism of four of our students, okay? Today's baptisms are going to look different. Uh, I'm going to ask you to join in with the kids and families as we baptize them. Um, Before we go any further, though, let's go ahead and hear uh, a little from the boys that are being baptized today. Watch the screens. I wasn't originally scheduled to actually be up here and close the service, but I wanted to do two things today. I wanted to invite you back next week. We're going to start a new series, and we're also going to actually uh, get some feedback from you for what I think will be a series, for sure going to be a series later in the fall, and I think it's going to be one of the most impactful series we do, and I want you to come back next Sunday to get some feedback into that. But here's the main reason I want to talk to you today. I had no idea what Jeremy was going to speak on today. I just basically said to him, I'm going on vacation. You do whatever you want. I don't really care what it is. And I tried throughout vacation to just stay as far away from any thoughts about here just because I felt like I needed a, my mind needed a break. But God gave me a dream one night while I was gone. And I got to tell you, I'm not going to get into the details of the dream this morning. I got to tell you, this message was exactly what that dream was about. And sometimes when we hear a message like this, we can take it as, ah, he's just trying to recruit, trying to get people involved. But no, this is something the Holy Spirit's involved in saying, I want to do right now. We've always had a vision, always had a commitment at this church to say, we're going to work and continually work to be the best we can be at children and youth ministry because we live in communities chock full of kids. People move to our communities for the schools. We can't be faithful to God's mission without being really excellent in that area. And we've made a lot of progress. We have excellence in that area. But I don't want you to walk away from today thinking this was just a youth pastor preaching to try to get you involved in his ministry. This was God inviting all of us to pray and all of us to consider what our part is, whether it's prayer, whether it's giving, whether it's volunteer, whether it's service, whether it's you inviting your friends in the community who have kids. I don't care what it is. It's God inviting all of us by his spirit saying, I'm at work here. Do you want to join me? So I want you to walk away today with that seriousness of thought. Do you want to join God in helping this aspect of the ministry at Quest to youth and children go even further? Go to the next level. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at go to quest.org.